sunny but underneath the surface lies a dark world behind your safe little havens that y'all call home beneath the surface there's an evil that festers and grows where the american dream goes dark this is the literary license podcast america goes dark episode your book to screen show where we head down a dark alley and discover the books the films and all the darkness in between with your co-host Leandro Gazi, Craig Johnson, David Grant, Vicky Ray, and Keith Shago. Things may look perfect on the outside, but what really goes on behind closed doors? your license podcast and it's book to screen week and as america goes dark we'll be discussing the book and the film and today we're discussing lovely bones by alice sue bold and the film from 19 i don't know i guess from 2002 so before we get started let's find out who's with us we got leandro gezi with us hello leandro how are you hi how are you um, Craig's on with us today because it's a bank holiday weekend, so he's probably out doing whatever Craig does. David's out with friends, and Vicky's unfortunately in upstate New York, um, dealing with her parents at the moment. And I'm your host, Keith Shago. And before we get started, let's find out what Leandro's been up to for the last time since we spoke to him. So, what are you up to, Leandro? Uh, well, having uh, well, working as usual, and then I have an allotment. Well, now I have two allotments, I have to leave one. In September, um, I have a new one, so I start to trans cover, transplant all the things that I have in one, you know, to take it to the other one to start all over. And yeah, you know, I've been reading, watching the movie, um, training. I changed my friend changed my routine in the gym, so now I'm like a bit harder trainer, but it's really cool, and that's all. 
What about you? Uh, uh, myself is um, not much. Basically, Ferris went back to Saudi for a month before he's back here for two and a half months. Um, sorting that out, sorting out stuff for the move, finding out that basically I can send um, a car to America to Dallas for 1,500 pounds from yeah. here. Yay, so that's good. So yeah, so sorting out like packing and boxing and jobs and flats and my sister Kim has been buying me plates and pots and pans and all the other stuff. So just sorting that out really, catching up on all the editing. So, you know, I'm a one show behind. So after by Friday, everything should be out and open and back to regular programming. And um, that's basically it really, nothing too exciting. Um, didn't watch the coronation, couldn't be fucked. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't have anything. I'm not pro or con the royal family, but I just, yeah, I just rather watch horror films than watch <laughs> well, I mean, four, hour, four I mean, hours of someone putting a crown in someone's head. So, yeah, well, I don't know. I, mean, I, I, I will say that I'm big fan of Charles, right? It's okay, but I thought it's going to be the first coronation that I like. Like where am I live? Because yeah. when I did it, I was I wasn't wasn't here. So I thought I need to watch it. And so I didn't want watch the whole thing in four hours. Just watch I think it was an hour, maybe two hours. And then there was a parade, you know, he, him going from one place to the other, then I then I walk home. Yeah. Well, I just think that for me, it's just like a couple of months ago I saw the parade when the queen died. So it's like I didn't need to see another one. <laughs> yeah. And to be honest, I think I soured on it because I'm not I'm not a Harry and Meghan fan. I don't clickbait on any of that stuff. But it comes through my phone all the time. It's just like, oh my God, I don't care. <laughs> so I think that because you had all that coming up to the coronation as well. And I think I think that kind of like it's like I'm not watching this now because I've heard, I've just had too much news being thrown at me about it, sort of thing. <laughs> so the countdown. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I did go see um, Super Mario Brothers movie. I saw it in 4D. Um, loved it. Really, really fun. Because you kind of sit in the chair and as the characters are like racing, the chairs are going back and forth and water's being sprayed in your face <laughs> and you get the wind coming through. It's really fun, actually. So I highly recommend it. So really enjoyed it. But other than that, I haven't really been up to anything sort of thing. Enjoying the bank holiday weekend and enjoying the next one in two weeks. So, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Man. That's how life should be. On that note, that brings us to Lovely Bones, the novel, which is a 2002 novel by American writer Alice Sobold. It was the story of a teenage girl who, after being raped and murdered, watches from her personal heaven as her family and friends struggle to move on with their lives while she comes to terms with her own death. The novel received critical praise and became an instant bestseller. A film adaption directed by Peter Jackson, who personally purchased the rights, was released in 2009. The novel was also later adapted as a play by the same name, which premiered in England in 2018. What we're going to do is cut to the synopsis of Lovely Bones and be right back.
This is a synopsis for The Lovely Bones by Alice Sebold. On December 6, 1973, 14-year-old Susie Salmon takes her usual shortcut home from her school through a cornfield in Norristown, Pennsylvania. George Harvey, her 36-year-old neighbor, a bachelor who builds dollhouses for a living, persuades her to look at an underground kid's hideout he had constructed in the field. Once she climbs into the hideout, he rapes and murders her, then dismembers her body and puts her remains in a safe that he dumps in a sinkhole along with throwing her charm bracelet into a pond. Susie's spirit flees towards her personal heaven, and in doing so, rushes past her classmate, school outcast Ruth Connors, who can see Susie's ghostly spirit. The Salmon family initially refused to believe that Susie is dead, until a neighbor's dog finds Susie's elbow. The police talk to Harvey, finding him odd but not suspicious. Susie's father, Jack, gradually suspects Harvey. Jack's su surviving daughter, Lindsay, eventually shares this sentiment. Jack takes an extended leave from work. Meanwhile, another of Susie's classmates, Ray Singh, who had a crush on Susie in school, develops a friendship with Ruth, drawn together by the connection with Susie. Later, Detective Len Fennerman tells the Salmons that the police have exhausted all leads and are dropping the investigation. That night, Jack peers out of his den window and sees a flashlight in the cornfield. Believing Harvey is returning to destroy evidence, Jack runs out to confront him, armed with a baseball bat. The figure is not Harvey, but Carissa, Susie's best friend, who is dating Brian, one of Susie's classmates. As Susie watches in horror from heaven, Brian, who is going to meet Clarissa in the cornfield, nearly beats Jack to death, and Clarissa breaks Jack's knee. While Jack recovers from knee replacement surgery, Susie's mother, Abigail, begins cheating on Jack with the widowed Detective Fennerman. Trying to help her father prove his suspicions, Lindsay sneaks into Harvey's house and finds a diagram of the underground den, but is forced to leave when Harvey unexpectedly returns. The police do not arrest Lindsay for breaking and entering. Harvey flees from Norriston. Later, evidence is discovered that links Harvey to Susie's murder as well as those of several other girls. Meanwhile, Susie meets Harvey's other victims in heaven and sees into his traumatic childhood. Abigail leaves Jack and eventually takes a job at a winery in California. Abigail's mother, Grandma Lynn, moves into the Salmon's house to care for Buckley, Susie's younger brother, and Lindsay, eight years later, Lindsay and her boyfriend, Samuel Heckler, become engaged after finishing college, find an old house in the woods owned by a classmate's father, and decide to fix it up and live there. Sometime after the celebration, while arguing with his son Buckley, Jack suffers a heart attack. The emergency prompts Abigail to return from California, but the reunion is tempered by Buckley's lingering bitterness for her loving the emergency prompts Abigail to return from California, but the reunion is tempered by Buckley's lingering bitterness for her having abandoned the family for most of his childhood. Meanwhile, Harvey returns to Norristown, which has become more developed. He explores his old neighborhood and notices the school is being expanded into the cornfield where he murdered Susie. He drives by the sinkhole where Susie's body rests and where Ruth and Ray are standing. Ruth senses the woman Harvey has killed and is physically overcome. Susie, watching from heaven, is also overwhelmed with emotion and feels how she and Ruth transcend their present existence, and the two girls exchange positions. Susie, her spirit now in Ruth's body, connects with Ray, who senses Susie's presence and is stunned by the fact that Susie is briefly back with him. The two make love as Susie has longed to do after witnessing her sister and Samuel. Afterwards, Susie returns to heaven. Susie moves in on to another, larger part of heaven, but occasionally watches earthbound events. Lindsay and Samuel have a daughter together named Abigail Suzanne. While stalking a young woman in New Hampshire, Harvey is hit on the shoulder by an icicle and falls to his death down a snow-covered slope into the ravine below. 
At the end of the novel, a Norristown couple finds Susie's charm bracelet, but don't realize its significance. But Susie closes the story by wishing the reader a long and happy life. And that is the synopsis for Lovely Bones by Alice Sebold. Now back to the show. Hello, welcome back to the Literary Lens Podcast. We're discussing Lovely Bones by Alice Sebold. So, Leandro, what are your thoughts of Lovely Bones? Um, well, <clears throat> this was really interesting, right? I went to the library because I always get the books from there. And then one day I, I saw, I went to check for some books. And I know my visual memory is really good. I know that I saw the cover of the book and I thought, well, what's a bracelet with a house on it? And I just saw it there on the display. And it was a really, like, really cool. And then when I went to get the book and I thought, oh, this is the book that I have seen a few months ago. Um, I really enjoy the story. I like how how it's told because, well, this is the first time I read a book when they give you like another perspective of how uh, heaven or paradise should be. Mm. And it's like, we always think that, I don't know, when a relative, someone that you love dies, he's, well, I don't know, that's my idea, to go like up, like, that they like, go to heaven and heaven is up, right? Where this one is like, she wasn't, in heaven yet but it was she was still around here you know like and it's like for a moment it was like a parallel um universe but it's not because she could still see the same things like display and everything it was really for me cool when she was seeing for example her dad doing things and that and she was like kind of like sitting there in the corner watching everything how what was happening and yeah, I don't know. I still think that's written really in a really clever way. Um, yeah, and it's like it was a bit. Well, it was really sad when when the dad was trying to explain the son, and he said, "How would you explain a four year old what all that thing that happened is horrible, you know?" And not having, and I really, it was really like cool well no like sweet the way that that explained about death with the monopoly game mm. and yeah i think that's really really hard to do for well i'm not a, i'm not a, a, a parent yet but for example when my dad died my my niece could understand what was, was going on because they were all sleeping then my sister received a call and then my sister went was crying, woke my, my niece, and they said, Okay, let's let's have to go. And they said, Well, what's, what's going on? What happened? And they said, Well, look, granddad has died. And so, where is he now? Well, he's going to heaven, uh, going to be on a star. So, it's like it depends which how you explain the thing and the story you give, and then could be a lot of meaning for that person later. Mm. So, I, I think that that way was really like sweet to explain to a four year old, like, Okay, you're in the game or you're not in the game. <laughs> um, the sister was like cool because uh, you realize that she was she took it in a different way, like a kind of like okay, now I have to be stronger, and she started to train and and do things, you know, and get it stronger, like kind of like physically, let's say, and yeah, and I really really enjoyed the book. It was really cool. What about I you? liked about I mean, what I liked about Lovely Bones is that basically, um, you kind. You know, there's kind of this sadness that flows through it, of course. Yeah. But then, but I also found I liked the way that she divided up the family. So you got the father, you know, who's kind of he's trying to be strong, and then he suspects the neighbor, sort of thing. And and then you get the mother who's kind of just shut down. 
from everything. And and then you, and then you got we said with the sister, and then you got the and then, and then the brother, and then you get like her room that's not being touched. But you know, they kind of go in there and and then the cat goes in there every once in a while. And, and then once she dies, the cat kind of refuses to go in there because she he like it knows that she's not gonna be there. Yes. But then you get like but then you get like a really good idea about the police procedures and stuff like that. It's like how basically is like, even though that they're, you know, the father's going, you know, you got to look into this guy and stuff like this and how yeah. the, and how the criminal is kind of protected in a way, you know, he's odd. He does odd things. You know, the thing is, is, you know, his house is meticulous is, you know, and you know, and and it's not like she's the first girl to go missing. He's killed other children before, but they yeah. don't look into any of that sort of thing. And I thought that was really interesting. And basically, you know, they say the worst thing that uh, the worst thing that can happen to a parent is it's harder for a parent to lose a child than it is for a child to lose a parent. And I think because we're brought up, in, you know, we're that's the way life's supposed to be. Your parents are supposed to go before you. And I thought that the, I thought that the book really handled that very, very well. And, um, you know, and, and then just her, you know, in her personal heaven sort of thing, as he said before, she doesn't go up, she kind of goes to the side and she's kind of there and she's kind of doing things, but you also feel the part where she can't really move them in any kind of direction she's kind of just there even though the brother and i thought that was quite interesting that the the younger brother the four-year-old could like sense her and can actually kind of see a glimmer of her which i thought that was quite good because they do say that when you're a child you can see things and you you're yeah. more open to things than when you when you become an adult but puberty kind of screws it up for you all of a sudden all that wonder comes out of the comes out of you yeah well you know this is really interesting i have um well, sorry, this is not connecting with the book, but it's connected with, with this situation with the boy. I have a friend that mom, the mom, her mom passed away. I didn't know anything, and then later, like two years later, I think I I found out, and then I I said, oh wow, well, sorry, I didn't know your mom passed away. And then she said, and I asked her how she was, and then she told me, look, you know, when my dad died, and she she talks to me and said, if you're like open enough to life let's say you will see there are some signs you need to be like aware like and ready and this happened to me right so it's like you know when someone tell you you say oh yeah okay but until the thing happens to the person itself so my dad used to tell me the name that I should be kind of like praying more right and I'm, hmm. I'm catholic but he changed to evangelistic and evangelistic people pray more apparently well my dad died and was one day in the house of a friend. I was go going back to take a shower to to a place, to gym. And then I was thinking, well, I never, never pray for that. So I just prayed, say that, um, pray, walk, went to sleep. The following day I woke up and I was looking for tattoos that I'm drawing. And then I saw one that has something that I liked was a lion. And underneath has like a passage from the Bible. When I went to check for the, what was the the passage, was said, and the elders told me to stop crying. And I thought, what the fuck? So I thought, wow. <laughs> so I think, I'm on, like that, I have others. Um, so I think it's, yeah, I think it, it can happen. But you have to be like, kind of like, let's say aware already, I don't know. Yeah. 
and believe. I think it could happen to you, and if you're like, oh, well, this is a coincidence, you will just maybe let it pass. Well, I found what I found kind of bizarre is, I mean, I from my mother's experience, my mom died. What I found a bit strange is that um, about two weeks after she died, I had this really like very vivid dream, and my two sisters were there, and we had a convers, you know, it's like we're having a conversation with her, and I just took it as a dream. But then my sister Kelly called me that the next more the next day. And she's like, I had this really weird dream. And it's like the same exact dream that I had. <laughs> so so we so we contacted my other sister Kim. And then Kim goes, Oh, I had this really weird dream. And the same exact dream, like the same wording and everything. So that was kind of bizarre. So it's almost like that, that we had a last conversation with her. Um, I don't know if it was coincidence. I don't know. I mean, I I'm not. I mean, I'm I'm religious, but I I don't have a really a lot of strong mm. beliefs about things like that. You know, I do work. You know, I do work in horror, and I write a lot of stuff about ghosts and you know horrific things and stuff like this. But I'm not quite sure about what my you know. I've never actually seen one or experienced yeah. one, and you know. Well, you in, know, in this book, there was like a, a a girl from school that kind of like she sense the presence of her but it's like kind of like no one was going to believe it you know like um so that that was i mean that was really interesting though, because you could you could go to the police and say oh yeah i have this sense of that i don't know she, she communicated with me and i said yeah, yeah okay go home <laughs> mm. i i found it quite interesting as well as uh it's kind of funny but i didn't realize it but with reading it you know when you realize that it takes over a long period of time. Yeah. You know, so I think I thought it was going to be a bit more, you know, and, you know, well, I mean, this, this is in our synopsis. If you listen to synopsis, you're going to pretty much know what's happened, but I was kind of disappointing about how the murder died. Why? I guess because you get so used to having like these big moments, you know, like, oh, you know, maybe a chase moment or, you know, the, the, the cops close in on him and, you know, but basically he just dies by an icicle falling on him and he falls into a ravine and he dies. And so no one knows who he is, really. You know, and even... And, yeah, it's like a sense know, of like there's no kind of like justice, like if you say, because of the, no one went and catch him. Yeah, you know what you mean. Yeah, and I guess because you get so used to like, you know, like the police coming in at the last minute, that, you know, and like, especially like when the sister, you know, you get the point where the sister break enters and breaks into his house. Yeah. And, you know, and it's, you know, and I guess like, I guess I just expected a bigger payoff, which is, you know, which is fine. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying anything about it, but I, I found it quite surprising, really, that, um, that it just kind of when he dies, he just dies. It's like he's just yeah. a nobody, which I which made it more interesting. I mean, it made it to make it made the book more memorable. Which unfortunately, we'll discuss when we get to the film. You don't, it doesn't you don't get the real payoff that you, you know in the in the film because of it. But I also, but I also found it. Then what you know once you get Abigail you know Lee she breaks up with Jack she goes and lives her life and eight years later and they get you know they, they get married and she has a baby I found that really interesting the grandmother Lynn I loved her I thought she was fantastic. <laughs> it was really cool <laughs> yeah and I found that how you know 
you know, how Susie felt closer to her grandmother after she died. Because I guess because I guess when you and I found that interesting as well, that sometimes when you're alive and you kind of see these people around you, you don't really appreciate them. But once, if you step back and just observe them, you have more of an appreciation. And I, I quite like that, that she had more of an appreciation with the grandmother after she died because she wasn't interacting with her and she didn't find her like she yeah. did before. But just watching her and watching how she reacts and how she brings the family back together and how she takes care of people and the way she thinks. Hmm. I thought that was a really nice payoff. But then, but then we get the finding of the bracelet at the end. And no one knows the significance of it. And it's just kind of like, oh. Yeah, it was like, mm, yes. You know. Um, I also liked when Susie got to meet Harvey's other victims and to learn about their traumatic experiences with him. I thought that was, that was kind of eerie. and Yeah. Yeah, it's like a kind of like each um, big team is like, was bringing something else, you know, to her to understand yeah. the process or, or how 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 that thing was working. Um, yeah, that was that was really cool. I thought her, I thought Susie's death was well handled as well. For some reason, it's like you know that she's dead because it's like she you know she tells you at the very beginning of the book that basically she's dead, and then when then when they go into like her killing. For some reason, you you still expect her to get out of it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like because yeah, the way yeah. it's written, it's like <laughs> it's just kind of weird. I mean, what's interesting about this book really is that when this came out in two thousand two, there was a lot of stuff in the news about you know children being murdered by strangers and all this other stuff. You know, stranger danger was huge in two thousand two. You know, we had. Um, in England, I think we had the Bulger case that was going on around this time. We also had, um, you know, Madeleine McCain. That was all, you know, around this time in America. I mean, this book's very American, but um, there's a lot of this around the world. I mean, this is probably the reason why we have fat children, because now there's this fear that, you know, children can't go outside because there's going to be stranger danger. Mm -hmm. But well, what I love... So what? it's pretty interesting because when I think you know part of the book said like when when her um crime was committed there was not the time where they you know people used to appear in the um, uh, milk cartons yeah. so it's like imagine they took a time to you know to people know that okay that this person has been missing and then now they kind of being not I don't know notorious to know who what is the person that that that. That has been missing to know if you have seen or not. Um, mm. That for me was like really interesting because, like, it was like kind of the crime was so perfect in time and and how to that to discover. You have to you know be really like in detail. And if you think is that you link that with the job that he was doing, he was doing those houses with all the things. But you need to be really precise, you know, in size and measurement and all that, so everything fits. Mm. Um, it's like it's like a clockwise. I mean, it's quite clever to set it in like 1973 anyway, mm -hmm. because it's before mobiles, it's before yeah. technology. Where yeah, that's what I'm today. saying. It's like, and the only thing that they have at the beginning was like the dogs, and mm -hmm. the dogs follow the trace, and then it was like kind of like going to nothing because they couldn't see it. Yeah, especially like the burning of the body, that kind of 
sends off a different kind of scent as well. Yeah. I also like how how the author when when she's describing heaven, there's no religious significance. So it could like so whatever religion or whatever your idea is about heaven and hell or anything like that, she made it so it was so mutual that it doesn't matter what your religion yeah. is, is that you can decipher and I thought that was very clever. So it wasn't like a god heaven or or yeah. you know or Hindu yeah, or that's, whatever. I, I think those are the, the 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 magic of these the stories like it kind of like imagine I explain you something in a new way, but it's it's really like clever, you know. That, I don't know. This one, she was like being able to see everything, but from another perspective that you. I don't know. I've never imagined. You know, okay, what about if, for example, if I die, if I carry on being here, mm. but it's like with a different meaning, right? Like yeah. I go out of house and they say, so going to work is like I don't know, enjoy the nature. Let's say something like that. So it's like, but it's the mm. same place, and I. I think a lot of people they always imagine that when you die, you are not like in a similar place. You are like in a different thing. Mm. Uh, yeah, and you said that the idea of the paradise was that that was really cool. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I think. I mean, I have to. My hats off to. I mean, this is the author's first thing that she's ever written. Mm -hmm. So, but I, I found it very, very interesting. It's only, I'll, especially like the simple part was like simple and stupid things like her hat or her coat or you know how everything has like significance after you die it's like the weirdest little things that you just take for granted all of a sudden have now have like a different significance for her who died and then for her family and her friends and and i also like how which is i've you know which is true is that life keeps going forward like even after her death like life i mean her her friends or lives are still going onwards a lot of the people that she was in the class with they're like oh it's sad that she died but they just kept moving forward it's like no one's life stopped the only person's life that seemed to stop basically was the mother's yeah and i i found the mother irritating actually but i think <laughs> well it's because no, you know, it's, it's really clear in the way that in the in one book she's um let's say showing how different people react some people yeah. for example can carry on and for example they said i don't know just to say you know her room is like a sanctuary everything stays in the same place everything is like nothing changes and it's it kind of like left stop there and then for yeah. I, I have other people that act different i have a professor in university you know he he was a, a philosophy professor and then he told us that his brother has passed away when he was a teenager and then he would say well I used to he he said he used to look his brother and you know, admire him and he have all the you know in the um wardrobe all the you know the the really good brand shirts to go out clubbing and all that and then he was oh, can I wear one of those and they said no 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 these ones are the special one you will never wear them and then he said that then his dad died and he went to open the cut the wardrobe and then the mom said, well, you can use whatever you like. And then he said he couldn't do it because mm -hmm. I said, what was the meaning? He understood that the, what was the giving meaning to a shirt was just a piece of cloth. A piece of material is his brother. Mm -hmm. So, and then he said, he, I tried, he tried one of them and it was kind of like not feeling the same. Yeah. Well, so, it's because we give we, we get meaning to things, don't we? I mean, another thing that happens yeah. when you die anyway. 
you know, you can be the most horrible person. Like, um, for instance, I worked, I worked in a job where we had this manager and everyone hated her. She was God awful person. And she lived in Ealing Broadway. Um, so she went home to Ealing Broadway one day after work and she got attacked and murdered. <clears throat> and um, so we go to work the next day and the police are there. And everyone's crying and everyone, you know, and everyone's grieving. And I thought, and I thought what I found the weirdest thing is that everyone fucking hated her. She was a horrible person. But after she died, it's like all of a sudden she becomes this nice, wonderful, warm human being, <laughs> which she wasn't. She was a horrible, meticulous, nasty person. Yeah. But but we tend to do that also after someone dies. It's like we all of a sudden it's like, you know, we tend to sanctify them or, you know, or make their, or make it's all of a sudden, like any, any, any horrible thing about them becomes all of a sudden wonderful. So, okay. Well, I, was, I, I was happy because we have like, it's not a saying, but it's like, in Argentina, it's like, imagine like someone died, right? Imagine was, as you say, that really person was a horrible person and then there was always someone that he was so lovely. And even though he wasn't lovely, it wasn't lovely at all, it wasn't, it's like you hate you, you hated them like, yesterday when they were alive and now that they're dead you love yeah. them like, and, it, and it's like work? well it's like dead uh, being dead is like forget everything that you have done and turn you into something a bit better <laughs> like yeah. to me um i guess it goes along with that thing is you can't speak ill of the dead isn't it that's what they yeah. say you can't speak yeah. ill of the dead so it's like why not they're dead but... <laughs> So I guess what we should do is let's, why don't we rate Lovely Bones? So on a scale of one to five, how many bones do you give this? Um, I would say four. Mm. Because it was really good, interesting, of course. But there was nothing like, well, there's like the, the extra bone to get five would be something that you said, oh, wow, this is really cool. Or, yes, as you said, you know, it's like at the end, it's like, okay, I would have weighed a bit more twist you know and close it like a bit better i don't know something like that so uh, a mm. four you mm. i am stuck between a four and a five um the reason being is everything that you agreed everything that you said gives it a four um but then i want to kind of give it a five only because of the realisticness of it sort of thing yeah. that you know that maybe you know that the killer dying the way that he died and the way that everything pans out and 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 because of the realism behind that, because sometimes that's just what happens. You don't need a girl. There's never like this huge Hollywood ending that you need. So I wanted to give her a five for that, but I do feel slightly disappointed because I read the whole book and I I thought the book moved very very well. I was really invested in it. I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was uncomfortable at times, which I like, you know, which means it was actually getting underneath my skin. But, um. And I, you know, and I loved the idea that, you know, Susie, Susie's point of view on things as well. I thought that was well handled. So, yes. so I'm, I'm tossed between a four because of the story content like that, a five, because I think it's very, very well written. I just kind of wish that I had a bit, you know, it does, it does kind of pitter out sort of the ending because like, you know, less well, we can break a bone if you want. 
They're lovely. Yeah. Like one, we run one is four and a half. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess, I guess I, you know, the thing is, is um, I guess it's because I wanted the family to have closure, but the family doesn't get closure. They just move. They keep just moving on without the closure. And I think that's probably what gives gives it from standing a five for yeah. me. But saying that, that's a very that's a very clever move on the work of the author to do that. Because it would have been pretty easy. In the majority of the stories, you always have the end where everything closed. Yeah. And everything is round. And in real life, several times, you don't, you never reach to the end of to know exactly how it happened. So it probably would be okay. This is one case like that. And it, it is. Yeah. Like that. So, so, yeah. So, you know, so that's what it is. So, but I didn't, I mean, I didn't draw. I would highly recommend it to anyone. Yeah. So. Yeah, well, I, this I, read, brings us... I read sorry three three episodes. I read it in in when I was uh, going somewhere in a train, and it was like boom, the time passed like that. I was like, oh wow, three three chapters. <laughs> yeah, it passed really fast for me yeah. as well. I was like, oh. So. Well, this brings us to Lovely Bones, the film, which is a 2009 supernatural thriller drama film directed by Peter Jackson from the screenplay by, which was co-wrote by Fran Walsh and Philippa Boyens. It's based on Alice Siebel's 2002 novel of the same name and stars Cyril Ronan, Mark Wahlberg, Rachel Weisz, Susan Sarandon, Stanley Tucci, and Michael Imperali. The plot follows a girl who's murdered and watches over her family from the in-betweens and is torn between seeking revenge on her killer and allowing her family to heal. An international co-production between the United States and the United Kingdom and New Zealand, the film was produced by Carolyn Cunningham, Walsh and Jackson, and I, Amy Peridot, with Steven Spielberg, Tess Ross, Ten Cams, and James Wilson, executive producers. Principal photography began in October 2007 in New Zealand and Pennsylvania. The film score was composed by Brian Eno. The Lovely Bones was first released on December 26, 2009 in New Zealand, and then internationally in January 2010. The film's North American release date was changed multiple times with a limited release on December 11th, 2009, and a wider release on January 15th, 2010. It was released to mixed reviews from critics. The story and its message were generally criticized, with praise mainly aimed at the visual effects. Peter Jackson's direction and the performance of Ronan and Cucci in the film's opening only having been screened in three theaters, placing it at 30th place on the box office chart. The Lolly Bones grossed over 44 million in North America. The film also received numerous accolades, with Tushi being nominated for Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. So, what we're going to do is cut to the trailer of Lovely Bones and be right back. He's cute. Does he like you as much as you like him? Grandma, would you please just drop it? Hey, Mom, look at me. Smile. My name is Salmon, <laughs> like the fish. Okay, shipmate, take it away. First name, Susie. Bye, Dad. Bye, Susie. You are beautiful, Susie Salmon. I was 14 years old when I was murdered. You're the Salmon girl, right? On December 6, 1973. We didn't find her, Mrs. Salmon. I'm very sorry. 
officer, don't you? She's gone. What if she isn't? What if she's still here? Grandma. Susie's in the in-between. Susie would never go off with a stranger. It had to be someone she knew. I've got a name for you. This is police work. This is what we do. My father had the pieces, but he couldn't make them fit. You have a tomb in the middle of your house. I waited for justice, but justice did not come. You're a seven girl, right? definitely something wrong with this guy. Why won't you listen to him? Because you need evidence. You need proof. Back to the Literary License Podcast, we're discussing Lovely Bones, the film from 2009. So, Leandro, what are your thoughts of Lovely Bones? Um, well, I really enjoy the movie. Um, I really like the um, sorry, I'm back. <laughs> um, really enjoy the um, well, seeing the, 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 seeing the story on the side of from her is like now, like kind of like a ghost, and it was really like. Um, cool the way um, for example when she's walking back to places and then for example she she rounds um, when there was that the letter that the man wrote that was going on on, on the wing let's say and she saw a, a school um, colleague or schoolmate and then the, the girls oh yeah I saw her and I felt the presence of having like a shiver you know and that was like really like cool, and then it was really uh, visual. The, the effects, like um, kind of the transition, you know, from one scene to the other. Like same, for mm -hmm. example, when the, there's a part of there were the dad put a, a candle in the window, and then the the candle goes till the end, and it's like a stop, and then comes and I, I really enjoy that because I have like I have another meaning behind was actually happening i hate the, this man you know was so like clever and smiling and all that and like um is is i think that's that's good you know when you you have that feeling of like i hate you man <laughs> uh um that's really um well, um, Susan Sarandon is right. The grandma was really fun when she was trying to cook or do things that everything was she was doing was wrong, smoking all the time. <laughs> um, it was I, I like it because in the movie, I think what the dad explained to him about uh, when, when they were playing Monopoly in the movie happened with the grandma when he is painting uh, her nails. 
And I said, well, yeah, yeah but Susie, Susie is dead. And then he said, well, you will be dead soon. And I said, what makes you think that? And they're like, well, you are old and old people. Die. And I said, I'm not going too old now. I'm going to die soon anyway. And I'm really young. <laughs> so like, that was really cool. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. There was one part that for me was like really interesting. It's like she was trying to, she could, she could see in, in um, this parallel heaven, I don't know, the house of the, the man who killed her. Right? And every time she was trying to go near, she, she, go, she was going backward because she was scared to know what how he was in like in the previous life know more about him and it's a moment that she kind of say okay now i have to go and then she she's kind of she wasn't ready then she got ready and then she entered and it's like open a door and it's like a swamp where she starts to walk and it's kind of like you like you she starts to see more and more and start to see all the big teams and start to explain you what would happen to each of them but it's it, i like it because it's like showing you inside of like a, of a house mm. uh i think that was kind of, i think it was a really really clever way have to visually like explain you something um mm. and the end I, I i love it because he was about to do the same something to this girl that was smoking and i think that 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 i don't know and i can't remember the name of that piece of ice hanging from the tree icicle the icicle I think that kind of she couldn't do anything because she she doesn't have the physical. But it's like for me, it's like her revenge, like being had that little power to just make it crack and boom and making mm-hmm. fall and die. And if in a way, it's like okay, the parents never dis. Well, in the movie, I think they discover what who who he was and what happened. They couldn't catch him. But I think it's like, imagine if he died and nobody knew where he was or how he died. Maybe someone found him tons of years later. But I imagine it's like that took from him what he took from like the other lives. Like there was no one who could could cry for him, right? Imagine that he have a family. I don't think he he doesn't say. But no one will be like kind of be sad about him because he was kind of disappearing and missing. And until someone found him, it's like a kind of like it's the perfect revenge for someone that has done all this uh, pain to all these people. I really like it. Mm-hmm. Like when the brother said, I have a drawing and said, well, the problem is that Susie is here. And it was a drawing. It was like a field and the sun. And she said, she can't take, she can't reach the sun. She's in the sky and the sky is in between. That's where she is. And she can't go through yet. So that mm. was really like clever, like an idea to explain the viewer, okay, this is where, where she is now, like in something in between. And I don't know you, but I mean, a lot of people have said, when said to you, okay, you need to let this person go. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying that, for example, if you are really sad and crying a lot and a lot of this, like a kind of the person can, this is what they say, I don't know if it is true. It's like the person can, for can go forward because you were kind of like re- trying to retain it to this reality and once that yeah. you kind of like you are accept- accepted and then you let it free the person just can't go and in a way i think it's like also for for susie's side she wasn't even ready to go forward to heaven because there was something that was retaining her because it was all this pain of of the man kill her and she cannot 
being able to accept it, accept that the family was sad, but then and then also is like entering to know who that monster was. And then once that she opened that door and then she discovered all that, she was able to then understand the, the victim, the, the people she was meeting, and then all of them be ready to go. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the movie. It was really clever. Yeah, I am. Um, I thought the movie was beautiful to look at, mm -hmm. but I wasn't really that invested in the characters that much. I mean, I, I thought it was well acted. It was that thing. And I thought everyone did a fantastic job. But it's kind of like I wasn't involved. I was kind of like just watching it. And like, you know, and then, you know, it's, it's very beautiful. I mean, it's the, you know, the heaven and the way it's filmed. And I, and, I, and as, as you were mentioning, there's a lot of, there's a lot of nice little scenes in it, but I wasn't that emotionally invested in it a little bit. And I don't know that's because, I mean, even like with, you know, and this is what we were saying about the book without the big Hollywood ending about the way he being killed. It's like when he gets killed, you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, you know, and that's and that's all you felt. You didn't feel like, yeah, he got his, or he deserved that, or anything. You just like, oh, mm -hmm. and then and then she kind of like go, and then I I guess the thing is like, the book was kind of different because she passes she passes into the next realm by you know coming to terms with her own death. So it has really nothing to do with the murderer, but in the movie. She passes through because once he dies, then she can pass forward. And that's kind of the that's kind of what they're saying to me. And I thought, well, that's a bit that's slightly different than uh, the movie had kind of like a, a whole a totally different way of looking at things than I guess yeah. than the book did for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well and, that's I, I it was really interesting what you said because for example, the magic that for me has the book is like when the dad was explaining the boy about the Monopoly game and how you are in life or you are not in life, then he, he burst into tears and he couldn't talk for a second and he was like crying. And I think that that was lacking the movie. There's, there's, there was all sad because Susie has died, but there was no one, you know, that you can see a dramatic scene that, that, that can touch you, like where are the parents, right, who died. And then you have the mom that, that, that closed herself, right, same in the, in the book, and in a moment, I don't uh -huh. know, I have the feeling that kind of like she she left her, the husband and went away and then, then she came back. Um, and even Mark Wahlberg, you could see him like crying, like devastated. So kind of, you know, you, you have that feeling, there's a, that connection with the actor. It's like, okay, this, yes, this is how, how it is because it have, has happened to you. Um, kind of in that way, like someone dies and it shocks you, then you won't be... Um, um, empathizing with the the story, you know. I guess that's another thing. I guess um, some of the casting. I thought the girl was good, but mm -hmm. Mark Wahlberg as the dad, I found. I don't know for some reason I felt. I, I when I had the father's head when I'm reading the book because I, I I read the book and then I watch the film, so yeah. that's how I do it. So I guess in my mind, in my picture, in my eye, I thought I found the father in my head. Like the father was like, you know, like in his thirties, slightly balding, maybe a little podgy, you know, because you know he worked in an office. And I had this like image of him. And then you see yes. Mark Wahlberg. And it's like, 
okay. Yeah, and yeah, I'm not yeah. saying that Mark Wahlberg did a bad job. I'm just saying, like, my physical thought of the no, father no, but was I know what Mark you mean. Wahlberg. <laughs> when, yeah, when, when, I, when it happened the same to me, when I read the, the story, for me, I, I imagine, I don't know, an older, like a person that is, I don't know, just to say something, I don't know, older than, than Mark Wahlberg. And in the story, it's like, they start with the parents. And then it was really interesting because... It was Mark Wahlberg, Wall, this lady, Michelle uh, White, and then they were in the bed. And then they show you how time has passed by mm-hmm. showing you the pictures on the on the side of the bed that mm-hmm. the, 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 the kids has grown up. But then they look the same. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, uh, even with the grandmother, for some reason, it's like, I imagine the grandmother more like Ma- more Jessica Tandy from yes. fried, fried Green Tomatoes. And yes, then you get yes, Susan yes, Sarandon, yes, yes. you're like, okay. Yeah, and um, I guess also, and I guess also because it's set in the seventies, and also in the seventies, people had a different look. Like old people always look really old in the seventies, yeah. you know, and and then the parents always looked a bit more frumpy in the seventies, and I guess this had like a two thousand nine shine over it because it's like, you know, they look like they look like parents from two thousand and nine, and yeah. how your grandmother looks in two thousand and nine. Yes. You know, they always, you know, they, you know. His grandparents now are a little bit more hip, and you know, yeah. as we were saying in Fried Green Tomatoes, is like well, you know, back in the seventies, they look like little old ladies. Yes. Now our grandparents don't dress like that anymore. They're, yes. you know, they're they dress a bit more modern, and that's kind of what we get here. Yeah, but it's so, like kind of like in the like in the past, it's like old people kind of like used to dress like old people. You imagine old, yeah. people? right? These days, you could see I don't know a grandma wearing I don't know joggers or maybe wearing I don't know. Uh, different clothes that Jean, be, well, even jeans yeah, and, so, uh, and yeah. trainers yeah, and yeah, yeah, what yeah. whatnot you know so you know and it's like i remember like you used to find like there'd be like old people's clothes and it's like they'd be like they they would have their own section you know like yes. this is how old yeah, people yeah, dress but cool. now we don't we don't have that anymore and this movie kind of reflects that we don't have that anymore so it's kind of like so you're kind of like watching it kind of going okay this is like 19 this is 2009's version of 1973 sort of thing so so yeah. kind of kind of like okay you know because i guess like even the grandmother you know i pictured it'd be like like olympia dukakis from moonstruck or um or what else was she and she was in um tales of the city you know and you know it's kind of like like a hip grandmother but like gray hair and you know yeah. and but but wearing like like the black like the black dress but set that fit very tightly with her but yet like with a mischievous smile and Susan Rand, I mean the thing is all the actors I'm not saying anything about the actors but I it, for me it is kind of like kind of miscast because like we're going to put these hip actors in there because that way it'll bring more box office yes. and maybe you know maybe then just bringing a bunch of people in that could just you know that would fit the type sort of thing, but well, Stanley tu- Stanley Tucci as the the serial killer, I thought he was brilliant. So I can understand yeah. why he was up for a lot of awards. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know that the looks that he was giving, you know, that was really clever, or the way he was chatting, or, or even I don't know. Sometimes like kind of like breathing, you know, like there's mm. one image of the one the sister is upstairs and he he's quiet and she she's passing page by page and imagine the which 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 sound can you make when you go from page and it's like he kind of like sensing and then when she put that piece of tile back make a click and he he knew it that there was someone that he goes up so that was really interesting and it's like 
in a way is like uh, well for what what i understood is like he was planning the next one and the next one was going to be her sister so he can't well mm. that's what i understood maybe not but it's like a, he was like kind of obsessed with with them yeah and 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 the book is it's not even relayed there so it's almost like so it kind of changes the whole thing because to be honest the sister doesn't i mean okay when she breaks his entering that's something totally different yes but but to do that in the movie um it's i don't know maybe, like, maybe it's my interpretation i don't know because for me no movie, no i got i got i got that as well so it's almost like they're like trying to i guess i mean i know you have to condense things for a movie and stuff like yes. this but in order to like make sure that he's still involved in the family sort of thing. So they kind of added this in and, and then we're in the book, you know, she, he's not interested in her. He's just, she's an annoyance to him, but it's not because he's looking at her to be the next victim because he can't use her as next victim. Cause that would make it. Cause he, cause because in the book, he's very calculating and he's very masterful and he knows yeah. what he's doing when he's killing these, killing these children. So, so therefore, he would never go into that extreme to go into the same family anyway, because that means you get caught. For them to suggest this in the movie makes him think that okay, that he he's killing because he's obsessed with the family, which is not the case whatsoever. Because because in the book, you have a feeling that he kills because that's his impulse, and he, um, but. In the movie, it makes it sound like he kills because of, of, no, of something else. It's not about impulse. It's about, you know, you know. And I just found the the I guess the book. He's a, he's a lot more intelligent, and for him to go like all of a sudden be interested in the sister for me, it kind of like it kind of makes him less intelligent. It makes him like okay, he's a stupid person that just hasn't gotten caught. But in the book, he's very he's very smart. That's the reason why he doesn't get caught. So and I guess that's you know so it's kind of weird to change that slightly, and I understand why they did because I guess it you know it keeps the film a bit more close together, but it does kind of change the way things are, you know. Um, it was also another thing was really interesting for me. It's like in the movies, like um, she Susie's telling. I thought I have been waiting here for a long time. So she kind of, she was in her room and I, I have been waiting for you, mom. And I said, I mm. thought you were never going to be able to enter. And then it was, it was to me, was that was really sweet. The mom entered and let's say that she sends her, I don't know. And then she said, I love you, Susie. And it's kind of like what that, what she needed, like kind of to go forward that the mom break that barrier of, of not entering that room because everything had to be um not not move not touch and then she entered and she started to make the bed like a kind of like let's start to do like open the window like kind of like let the fresh air you know enter and then kind of let it her go in one way yeah and and I that's what I like it because it's not that the mom didn't want to um once she wanted, just wanted to leave it there. She wasn't ready to accept it. Mm. So when she was able to, she was able to enter in the room, and she was able to tell her that she loved her, and then kind of let her go. Mm. So yeah, I really, I, re I also really like you know when in the movie like there was a tree full of leaves, and the leaves turned into birds, and then yeah. flat, the the it's like a dead tree, 
and then like when everything starts to go back on place that the birds go back to the the tree that I, I really like that because like um otherwise like a kind of the, those message that you can give without even it's just a sequence nothing like yeah i mean visually i thought the film was visually stunning um i just for me it just kind of lacked the emotional side of it yes i mean no, i did i didn't there, there, there are like certain scenes I go, oh, that's, oh, that's well done sort of thing. But, you know, I didn't feel, I didn't want to cry or it wasn't that much yeah, emotionally. Yeah, no, no, I, I know exactly what you mean because it happened to me that I was watching and then for a moment I was with my phone and then I thought, well, what am I doing with my phone? I need, I, I need to go back to the movie. And then I went backwards and then you know that when, when a movie cuts you and you can you want to see what's going on and you, you forget mm. that's when the movie knows how. But when you are like you're moving, and they're like, okay, you can you you don't sing, and then you're with the phone, and it's like, okay, your attention is is parting. Into... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I went to I went to see this at the movie theaters. Um, mm -hmm. when it came out, um, I was going through my divorce then, so and I kind of walked out of there going, okay, well, it looked pretty. So revisiting it, I thought that you know now that I'm in a different mind space and stuff like that, I thought basically it might have been because of the mind space I was in because I was sorting out a lot of stuff in my private life. But this time around, the same thing. I kind of just I felt nothing, and then and then, and I mean the book I felt so much and I was like really invested. Mm -hmm. And here I kind of like, well, I love the way it looks. I thought the acting was good, but I just wasn't. Like when we did Fried Green Tomatoes, I was totally invested in that movie. Yes. It's like I yeah, felt yeah, everything. Yes. And and that film was very episodic. You know, that that film moves at a, a really fast pace. And, you know, and it's bouncing back and forth between different storylines. And here, you know, and I was able to keep up, you know, keep up with it and be invested in each storyline. Here we have one storyline. And yeah, I mean, even even the grief, even with the grief for the parents, it's like I still did. I still wasn't one hundred percent invested in the in the grief. Yeah. But I, but once they were in heaven, they were showing her, and you see all the visualness going on there. And I thought, God, this looks beautiful. I love the way this is done. Yes, but it, but it wasn't like, oh, I love this this way it's done. Oh my God, it really touches my heart. And that's and I think that's why, I think that's what for me. If I'm gonna watch a film, I have to kind of be invested emotionally into it. I think, yes. and I didn't have the idea. I wasn't as emotionally invested as I was in the book with the film. I don't know. I thought, you know. Yeah, you you know what I was thinking while you were saying this is like I think that probably we, we can get that um connection with ourselves, the movie and the characters, right? Because this story is, is told by kind of let's say a ghost yeah right? so there's no way that we can relate to anyone that has been in that position right so then you say okay i have felt like a ghost so then now i know how it feels and because the story is not told by the parent it can be it's not it's dramatic but it's not so dramatic to think in the first mm -hmm. like a first uh character telling you what's going on right so it's because if from the view of a ghost and the ghost doesn't have those feelings of crying you know, it's more like something is pending and I can go forward because it's it's taking me there and I can walk. It's like it's a different grade of emotion that maybe we can connect. You know what I mean? So it's like it's it's yeah. 
but I guess, I guess, you know, like, let's sit there and say, like, in the beginning, when the parents first find out, you know, she hasn't come home and, and, mm. the, and everything like that, and they suspect she's been murdered, and that grief process, I didn't really feel that grief process. Yes. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. You're kind of watching it, and the thing is, is, like, you know, I think you kind of, you know, when they're grieving and all the other stuff through it, you mm. should feel the grieving along with it. You should yes. feel the devastation and everything yeah. like that. But you're kind of, but you're kind of watching it as like, you're kind of watching it like she is, like an yeah. outsider. Like, yeah, yeah, you know? no, I, I totally agree. I think that that happens in the book when they, that, when they explain you about the thing about the monopoly, then you can feel mm. it more. But in the movie, both, as you said, really quickly, they carry on and it's like, okay, they're sad, they're crying, boom, carry on with the next Yeah. Thing. And you know, you're just like you. You just feel like a, you just feel like you're an, an outsider looking in, and the movie. You don't feel like you're in, in part of it, sort of thing. And I think that's where the movie kind of goes wrong for me. Yeah. So, so I guess what we should do, let's rate Lovely Bones the film. So how many stars would you give this? Uh, four. Mm. Uh, in a way, I was tempted to give five because of the visual effects. But mm. visual effects can be really good, but without something on the back. Supporting is like... So I said... It's like watch, yeah, it's like watching Godzilla. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give this a three. Mm -hmm. Um... Visually, I think uh, visually it's a five, but yes. for me, a film has to have that emotional resonance with it. Um, I probably won't be, be viewing it again. And I've, I've, it's one of these films that, if, you know, if I did buy a copy to watch um, here. And I don't think it's a film that, you know, if people are coming over and they want to watch, I probably wouldn't even show it to them sort of thing. <laughs> okay. You know, and, you know, because for me, it doesn't have repeat viewing failure. I mean, if I was going to do, you know, so, oh, you got to see this film because it's visually stunning, you know, I would pull it out. That's fine. But, yeah. you know, I said before, I kind of need an, an emotional resonance with anything I watch for, for it to stick with me. You know, the films that we cover that really have that emotional resonance. I mean, I, I can watch over and over and over again. Yeah. It has that. So otherwise, I'm kind of just watching art. It's like going to an art exhibition. It's like, OK, <laughs> nice art. but I don't feel anything sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, that brings us to the end of the Literary License Podcast. Um, next week, we'll be doing Doctor Who, Reign of Terror, which aired 8th of August, the 12th of September, 1964. And of course, Batman, the animated series will be continuing with, we'll be coming to Robin's um, story of Robin's Reckoning, part one and part two, and the episode Night of the Ninja and Cat Scratch Fever with Catwoman. Our make-remake season will continue with Eternal Affairs from 2002, which is a Hong Kong film, which is later remade into The Departed from 2006, directed by Martin Scorsese and starring Robert De Niro and Leon, sorry, Leandro DiCaprio, Matt Damon and Jack Nicholson and Mark Wahlberg. And of course, our Eminem Monsters and Mad Men will continue with Sinister from 2012, and We Are Still Here from 2015. 
Next month, America Goes Dark, we go with classic this with Patricia Heisman, The Talented Mr. Ripley, and the film The Talented Mr. Ripley from 1999. So I guess it's good night for myself. Good night, Leandro. Good night, everyone. And we'll see you next week for Batman the Anime Series and Doctor Who Reign of Terror. Good night, folks. Miss your voice, miss your smile Everything about you Worth the while Always wondering where you are I hope you're with us Near or far Many questions unanswered True.